Uh, this morning we're starting a brand new series uh, called Who Do You Think You Are? Um, and we're tackling the subject of identity. And uh, before we even jump in, I want you to think back to maybe it was a couple weeks ago, probably maybe several months ago, when you met someone new for the first time, you know, you say, hey, my name's Chris. And what's the first thing someone asks you typically? Like, oh, what do you do? And what they're doing essentially is they're trying to figure out, like, what box do I put you in? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you a this kind of person? Do you do this kind of thing? Well, I'm a, or like you look on social media, right? And even think for yourself, like what you say to people, like, oh, well, you know, I'm married, uh, I have three kids, I do this, I like to do this. And the whole point of that is really just giving people context and an understanding for them to identify you. How am I framed, right? But then again, like you look on social media, they'll say, uh, you know, Chris uh, Denning, uh, husband, dad, I like Panthers, you know, whatever it might be, right? You kind of put yourself into those individual boxes, and we all do it, right? And so one of the reasons we think it's really important to talk about this in the context of our faith is because of what the Bible says about our identity. And more specifically, this passage in Romans speaks to, to, to lots of things around us, but I think it speaks directly to this, where it says, this of the New Living Translation, it says, do, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world is saying, don't just slide into this understanding that it's okay to put yourself into these little boxes. They're not bad things. Identifying yourself as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, uh, things that you like to do, they're not bad things. But if those are the first, if those are the forward-thinking things that we put uh, as our identity... They can really start to cause problems down the road and in our understanding and our thinking about lots of different things in life. It continues on and says this, the reason why that's important is if we get our identity right, if we, not, if we don't conform to the things of this world and just kind of slide into culture's understanding of identity, if we choose to say what God says about this, we'll learn to know God's will for us which is something I, I'm sure each and every one of us would love to have a better understanding in different areas of our life. So we don't just simply accept and slide into the way that culture tells us to think about our identity because if we choose to lean in and choose to do the hard work of shifting that understanding to what God says about identity, we can better learn God's will for our life. So how do we understand identity? Uh, we're going to start off this morning talking a little bit about culture versus what Jesus says about identity. And then we're going to get specifically into the aspect. The next three weeks, we're going to tackle three different aspects of our identity in Christ. But before we even do that, we've got to understand the difference between what culture says about our identity and what Jesus says about our identity. So culture tells us there's this pervasive thinking that your identity is all about you have to be true to yourself. Right? You've heard that before. Like, I am this. I'm just being true to myself. Especially if there's some kind of opposition or, or individualistic thinking. It's not a, again, these identities aren't always a bad thing necessarily. It's just what culture tells us is you have to be true to yourself. And identities, in essence, in the culture are not something we are. They're something we put on. They're hats. Identities, in the context of culture, are hats. Like, I have my dad hat. 
I've got my husband hat. I've got my Panthers fan hat, literally and, and figuratively. I've got all these different things that I identify as that I can kind of pick up and put on. And then I'm, okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to go put this hat on, and I've got to come over here and put this hat on. Does that make sense? Have you experienced that in your life to where you feel like you've got these different hats? And it can get to an even more unhealthy place to where in this context, I can only wear this hat. Does that make sense? Around these people, I have to wear this hat. And if I show them this hat, ooh, that's going to be, I can't wear this hat to family Thanksgiving dinner. Does that make sense? Because I know that that person wearing that hat is going to have a problem with my hat. Does that make sense? So identities are hats. And if you follow that thinking down, a lot of postmodern thinking in our culture is that culture, sorry, is that identities are performative. Okay, when we put these hats on, I have to do certain things. I have to say certain things. I have to act in these certain ways. That identity is performative. And if you've ever been a part of a performance, like a play, maybe when you were a kid, or just something where you, maybe putting on a presentation at work or something like that, performing is exhausting. Can I get an amen, right? So if we have these different hats we're putting on, if we have these different performances we're putting on because identity is performative, that's exhausting, exhausting. And to go even further, it's not just like I go to the store like I can now with, a, with my Panthers hat and see all the different Panthers hat and pick that Panthers hat and pick this Panthers hat. In culture, with our identities, you are responsible for creating and refining your hat. And what I mean by that is like, I might have my Panthers hat, okay, that I made myself. It means I love the Panthers. And then this guy's like, well, I'm a Jake DeLone fan. I'm like, Okay, maybe I'm not that kind of Panthers fan. I have to adjust my hat. Or I'm a Cam Newton fan. Oh, I, okay, my Panthers hat's different than his Panthers hat. But they're both Panthers hats. Does that make sense? And there's so much pressure on me to customize this hat, this identity that I put on. And apply that to social media. I go on and maybe it's a cause that you're passionate about or that you're excited about or that you support. And you think this way, and I've crafted my hat, this is what I think, believe about this issue or this idea, and I put that on and I share it with Facebook, and then, I can't believe you're wearing that hat! That hat's so ugly, it's so, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's that automatic piece that happens to where, because you crafted this hat, okay, maybe I, okay, maybe I don't, it's not exactly like that, I've got to shift this this way a little bit more, I, or I don't exactly believe that part of that hat. Is, that, you, is this starting to make sense to you? We have these hats it's a performance. Identity is something we have to do. And it's exhausting. That's what culture says about identity. So what does Jesus say about our identity? In the context of Jesus, it's not about being true to yourself. It's about being true to who he says that you are. Being true to who he says you are. It takes all the pressure off of what we can do and what we can bring, what we can create for ourselves because he has already identified for us uh, who we are and who we are to be, we are to be in Christ. Matt had a, a sheet that he made a couple months ago about different statements from the Bible about our identity in Christ. And it's like 20, 30, 40 things long with scripture after scripture after scripture of what God is telling us either through Jesus himself or through his people, what he thinks about us and who he thinks we are. And it's about understanding what God says about us, about what God says who we are. And an identity is not a hat in the context of Jesus. It's a lens. Identity is not a hat. It's a lens, meaning we still have these roles that we play in life. I'm still a father. I'm still a husband. I'm still a Panthers fan, right? I still have these hats that I have in my life, but I need to view them 
through a lens. Think of like a big magnifying glass, right? You with me? That is how we're supposed to view our identity. Our identity in Christ is a lens through which we see those different roles in our life. Does that make sense? It's not a thing you put on, it's a thing you're given to understand your worldview, to understand your experience in life. Our identity in Christ is meant to be a lens, and it's not performative, okay? It's not something we perform. In fact, this is an identity that's received, it's not earned. It's received and not earned. Our identity in Christ is given to us rather than something we have to strive for or something I have to make for myself. And you see that different experience where if I'm responsible for creating my own identity, whatever that identity might be in, you insert thing here, there's an immense pressure and stress and I have to keep that up and I have to continue to be this way and I have to continue to do this instead of, in the context of a relationship with Christ, we're given this identity in Christ. It's not something that we earn. And we see this even all the way back in the beginning of the Bible when we were first created, when God created life itself. And I grew up with a pastor who would say a, a statement like this, and I think this is incredibly helpful for us to understand why we're given this identity and why God defines that for us. He says this, he says, if, if God created life, okay, if in Genesis 1, he's the one who created all life, especially he's the one who created human beings. If God created life, then only he can define it. We can't define it for ourselves. We can't define it for somebody else. God is the one who defines it for us. That's why we look into the Bible to see what God says about who we're supposed to be. And if we look in Genesis, it says this. This is from the creation story. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. And that's incredibly important. If you look in the verses right before that, he's creating the stars in the sky, and he's creating the plants, and he's creating the animals, and it's all good. It's all good things, right? That's what the text says. And here, he's saying we're created, human beings are created in his own image. We're meant to be the image bearers of God. There's actually a term for this, which is imago Dei, which means the image of God. It's not just that we're supposed to be like him, it's that we have the very image of of him. We bear that out into the world. That's part of our identity. That's why he understands what our identity in Christ is supposed to be, because he is the author of life. And if God created life, then only he can define it. And essentially what we get back into when it comes to this identity of culture versus Jesus for our identity is you have to choose a master, like, what master is going to define your identity? Because that's the truth, that your master is going to identify, or sorry, it's going to define your identity. So if your master is Jesus, we have a Bible that's going to tell us all about how and who we're supposed to be in this life. Yes, we have roles, and yes, we have interests and things that we do. We're going to get to that in a minute. But he tells you about who you're supposed to be, how we're supposed to understand ourselves. That's what that master does. But if we choose other things, these hats that we create and we choose to put them on and, and craft them and over, over time, we're essentially choosing different masters. Like if one hat that I put on is successful business person and that is my key hat that I keep on at all times and I'm striving and striving, the master there could be like money, right? Or success. Or maybe you have this cause that you are passionate about and that is the hat I wear no matter what. You're not taking my hat off. I spent so much time crafting this thing, and I know exactly what I believe. I know how the arguments I'm going to bring up as soon as they bring up that stupid thing they're going to say, and I know how to squash this. Whatever it might be, you're choosing that to be your master over these other things in life. 
and your master defines your identity, what happens is, is our identity in Christ is secure. It's secure because it's built on a foundation that is sure. However, these other identities, these other masters are insecure. They're not, there's nothing to support them other than this construct that you've created. And what happens with these insecure identities, the way they achieve security or the way they try and strive for security is by putting other things down. If money is my master and it's defining my identity, the only way for that to create security in my life is to create a rich versus poor dichotomy. You see that? And it's creating this division, this rift. If it's a cause, it automatically creates a thing where it's us versus them. You see that? And you've seen this online. And what can even happen is I've got my us versus them, but then someone over here says something I don't like, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And now you've got a us versus them versus them. And then someone over here says something dumb again, you're like, okay, an us versus them. You see how that works? It achieves security by putting other things down and pushing and causing some kind of rift. Now again, these hats aren't necessarily bad. These roles aren't necessarily bad things in our lives, but they must be viewed through the lens of our identity in Christ. And when it comes to speaking of our masters, a truth is that Jesus is the only master that will satisfy us when we seek him and will forgive when we fail him. And notice here it's not an if, right? It's a when, because we're going to fail him. But these other things don't act the same way that Jesus does. That's why our identity in Christ is the lens through which we see these other things because of the fact and the truth of our relationship with Christ. So this morning, that's kind of the idea of, of our identity in Christ as a whole. But we want to dig in over the next several weeks of some aspects of our relationship and our identity in Christ. And this morning, we're going to focus on something we find in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says this. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And more specifically, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. It's individual people we are God's masterpiece. This is meant to be something Paul's speaking to individuals, followers of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. And the only way for us to understand this is to take time uh, and dig in and look at it in relation to the gospel. Because I, underst- I-, I know there are people in this room and people watching online who you're having a hard time accepting this truth for yourself. Like, I don't know if I can believe that, Chris. That's not... I get, I get where you're going, and that's nice, and that's a great Sunday school lesson, but like, I'm kind of a hot mess. I'm not really a masterpiece. And that's exactly why you're a masterpiece. So we're going to dig in today and understand better what is meant by us being God's masterpiece and how that's laid out in the context of the gospel. Because like I said, the only way for us to understand this idea that we are God's masterpiece is to start with the gospel, because there's a danger here where we can start to build ourselves up of like, yeah, you're dang, some people are hearing that, like, you're dang right, I'm God's masterpiece. I mean, come on, I spent all this time, and like, you have a high understanding of yourself. It's a very easy thing. Yeah, got that, Chris, moving on. But you, that's, that's not even healthy either. We have to start with an understanding of what God says about our relationship with him and with the world. So we have to start with the gospel. And, and in America specifically, we have this really unhealthy understanding of the gospel, thinking it's either the four, first four books of the New Testament, right? That's the gospel. Or, or maybe the gospel more dangerously is about being good enough or doing 
good enough, and that is really, really terrible. The gospel is not about being good enough or doing good enough. It's not about the being or the doing. That's on us. That's something I'm doing, something I'm bringing. That's a very, very cheap gospel. The gospel is actually what we see in Ephesians 2, 3 through 9, the passage right before the statement that Paul makes that we are God's masterpiece. So let's dig in here and see what we can learn about the actual biblical gospel. So starting in verse 3, it says this, all of us, so starting out everyone in this room, everyone watching online, those who put their faith in God, that's who he's referring to here. All of us used to live that way. What way? Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That's a very helpful term because sin's not a thing that we do as people. Sin is a way that we are. You see the difference? Sin's not a mistake I made. Sin is a way that I exist because of the story of humans. Like as we entered the world, we, sin enters the picture. God created a perfect relationship for us and we broke that and continued to break it over time. Now we've tried time and time again to try and work our way back to that. We're going to see what God did in light of that in just a second. But sin is not a thing that we do. Sin is a way that we exist. And God is a holy God. That's how he's described in scripture. And holy just means set apart. Sin cannot be close to something that is holy. Sin cannot be close to something that is righteous. So there's a rift that's created because of not something we did, but something we are, our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So in that rift, that set apartness, where God is holy and we are sinful, that God is righteous and we are not what happens is God is not ambivalent towards sin. He's not just casual with, I just don't like it. It's not, something, it's not your kid who doesn't like pickles, right? It's not that kind of situation. It's a situation where God cannot have sin exist. His anger, his wrath is directed towards that. And if we are sinful by nature, what does that mean for us? It means his anger is directed directly at us. We are subject to God's anger. So our starting point is that, is that we are sinful, that is the beginning of the gospel, but it continues on in verse four, where it says this, I love this, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, even though we were dead, stop there for a second, what did dead people do? Nothing. They can't do anything. They can't do anything for themselves. So if we are, and you see this time and time again in scripture, that we were dead in sin, Right? Our sin has caused a condition in our life where we are dead, unable to do anything. That is our condition, that we are dead. We can't do anything because of our sins. Instead, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So God's goodness and God's mercy is overcoming our deadness. Do you see that? That's the gospel. It's not that we were doing enough or being enough. It's that we were dead in sin, and God instead, in his great mercy... And his great goodness decided to make a way for us. Let's continue on. It says this, It is only, only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. It's only by God's grace that we've been saved. It's, it's only through God's action. We were dead. We couldn't do anything. And let me tell you this. We say that Jesus is the only one who's going to satisfy us when we seek him and forgive us when we fail him. And he's the one who gives us life when we're dead. Your other masters can't do that. 
Your job can't die for your sins. Your identity in this cause that you're believing in cannot save you from your deadness. That's something only Jesus can do. Continues on here, verse 8. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Somebody needs to hear that today. That's the being and the doing. You can't do enough for this. It's not something you can do to earn. You can't take credit for this because it was given to you. It goes on and says, it is a gift from God. And if you write something down this morning, write down this next statement, because I think this is something you need to listen to for the next week just to get it in your head, because we have a really bad understanding of what salvation, how salvation functions in the context of the life of a believer, especially in faith, is that salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about that. It's not a reward for the things that we've done. It's not you do, 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 and here's your gift of salvation. It's not I try, 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 and earn my way, and then here's your gift of salvation. No, that is not how it works. It's not how it works. It's a gift of grace, not works. The point in this story, in the gospel, is not us, it's Jesus. The point is Jesus. It's what he's done for us and I saw this recently, I saw this picture, and I wanted you guys to see it, because it's, it's a very good framework of understanding. Works are not, the things that we do, the good things we try to do in life, are not a bad thing. They're part of our identity in Christ, but they're not the point. They're not the thing that gets us there. So, so this, is the, this is the trap we fall into. It looks like this, that faith plus works equals salvation. You've probably thought that before, right? Like, I believe, and I do enough good stuff, and then I get salvation. Does that make sense? You've thought that before, maybe you've seen that before with other people. And maybe you didn't say that you thought that. Maybe it's just kind of come out in your actions. Because in this context, the works, the things you do, the good things, are the root of your salvation. Does that make sense? It makes up the foundation of your salvation, which is a non-biblical gospel. What the Bible tells us is this, is that it's our faith that equals salvation. Our faith in Christ alone gives us salvation, and then... Our works come from that. Our works are the fruit. The things that we do in life are the fruit of our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit working in us and growing us. It's that lens. Our identity in Christ is what happens as a result from our relationship with Christ. The works are the fruit of salvation and the fruit of faith. Does that make sense? It's a completely different way of understanding. It's not about us. It's about what God is doing in and through us and what he's done for us. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 is not the end. It's not the end point, you are God's masterpiece. Let's look at it again. It's not just that you are God's masterpiece. It's the second part. It's you are God's masterpiece so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's the fruit. We have faith. We receive salvation. And then out of that, the works come. The good things he's planned for us long ago come the fact that we are God's masterpiece is not the end, and we settle into that co- warm, cozy blanket, and that feels really good. I like that. That's, I'm going to write that on my mirror and look at it in the morning. That's great. That's not the end. It's supposed to be the start of what God has prepared for us in this life. And let me tell you this about the nature of masterpiece. That's a really interesting word to use in, in different translations because if you think about it, a masterpiece, whether you go into like the Louvre or, or like a nice museum or something, and they've got something from a, a brilliant artist or a great sculptor, and there's a masterpiece, or the Sistine Chapel, you look at any of those things, masterpieces aren't copies. 
Masterpieces aren't copies. They're not facsimiles. It's not you take one thing, you just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. So when God's speaking to us, he's speaking to our uniqueness. This is why we are unique individuals. That's why these roles that we play, these passions that we have, these things that God has put inside of us are not bad things. The result of our identity in Christ and who he has made us to be. If we are masterpieces, we're not meant to be copies. He's made us to be unique. And we see this perspective in the Bible, in Psalm 139, where David speaks to this relationship, this understanding of, a, of that unique relationship with God and how he views us. And my prayer this morning is that we take this scripture and start to apply it to our own understandings about ourselves. So this is what it says in Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. This is David speaking. He says, O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Continues on and says this. You know what I'm going to do and say even before I do it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. These verses here are painting a really clear picture of intimacy, right? That, that understanding of how God views us as a masterpiece, that's not a casual relationship. There's an intimacy there that he desires with us, and David is showing us what it's like to understand and play that out. I love this, you go before me and you follow me. It's not just that he's preparing a way for us, it's that he's supporting us along the way. You see that? There's an intimacy in that relationship. And it culminates in verse 13 where he says this, says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. And this is the core of this morning that I think a lot of us are going to have a hard time believing about ourselves. And says this, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. That is how we're supposed to respond to God's statement that we are his masterpiece It's not about saying, thank you, God, and building me up to make me feel more proud about myself. You see that? That's one way to take it. The other way to take it is the biblical response, which is, God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's a perspective thing, too. This perspective is not about look at me, look at what I've done, look at what God's made me to be. It's look at God. How great is he that he can do this, that he makes all these different people who are passionate about these different things, who are good at these different things, who have a life called to do many, many things in life. That uniqueness is so important. It's so important. But it's a perspective. Instead of thinking that it's about us, look at me. It's a, it's a perspective that says, look at you. And complexity is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. He's made us to be complex people. So again, these different hats in the world of culture, if we have this lens that we don't look at or utilize or anything like that, if, if the lens has become just another hat we put on at church, that cheapens the gospel to being just a, 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 a prize you get out of a box because you believed. My salvation's a prize, thank you, because I did enough or did whatever. I crafted this nice little hat. My Jesus hat, I put it on at church. But you've got these other things, and through the culture, if we believe that that's what it's about, it's about having these things in my most important hat that I put on, we fail ourselves, and we put ourselves in a situation where we only see the simplicity of this one thing, this one thing, this one thing, instead of 
zooming out, taking the lens of our identity in Christ and understanding those different aspects of our lives in the context of our identity in Christ. You see the difference? One makes it all about this, these different hats that I put on. The other makes it about what God is doing in my life. You see that? And the uniqueness that comes from that. Again, we talked about that. Unique is a good thing. It's not just about like someone who's weird. Like, that's not what unique means. Unique means how God has made each and every one of us different. It can play out in our gifting, like how God's gifted you, the things you're not just good at, but like uh, maybe some people have the gift of discernment. They've got the ability to just love on people and listen to them and help provide wisdom from God. Maybe they have the, the, the gift of hospitality, of helping to make people feel warm and welcome in whether it's their house or somewhere else or whatever it might be. There's so many different ways that plays out, and that's a part of it. It's a part, if that becomes your identity, that's dangerous. If it's a part of who you are through the lens of your identity in Christ, it can be a beautiful and helpful thing. We talk about the Enneagram here through growth track, and really, that's just a tool. It's a tool. It's not an identity, like a thing that you put on that I'm a seven, and so seven, right? It's not about that. The whole point is you understand this tool so you can understand how God has made you unique. You see that? It's a tool to help us understand how God has created us to be so that through that lens, we can go out and do the good things he's prepared for us. It's also your passions, the things you're excited about, the things that, that keep you up at night, the things that make you want to get up and go in the morning. He's put those things in you individually. Same as like a calling. If I feel like I'm called to do this thing and not necessarily ministry. I feel like ministry is like the only thing we feel like we get called to do. Like, well, I can't be called to open this business. Why the heck not? Like, why can't God use you there? Well, I can't be called to raise these three kids at home. Why, why not? Why not? Callings are about things that God puts deep inside of you for you to do, not as an identity of I'm a stay-at-home mom or I am a... Uh, business owner, I may, whatever it might be, it's an aspect that he's gifted deep inside of you to look at through the lens of your identity in Christ. Your uniqueness is a beautiful thing. Complexity is beautiful. But again, I've kind of teased this all morning. There are people in this room, there are people watching online who are really going to struggle with this. You're going to struggle with this idea, with this identity with how do I, I, I don't know if I, I, I get, okay, Chris, I get the whole identity in Christ. I get that I'm not trying to strive for something. I get all that, but I'm not a masterpiece. Like, I'm just not. I don't, I don't know how I could say that about myself. And sometimes it's because things you've gone through in life, and I understand that. Sometimes it's just the way that you see yourself. Maybe you, you have a more critical eye towards every little piece of your life. Maybe it's just a way that you've been raised. Maybe it's something you've been told. I don't know. It could be any of those things, but I do know that God can redeem those to give you a biblical perspective of yourself. And that's what I hope we move you towards. So if you're struggling with this, I've got two things for you. First, you need to meditate on that section in verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. That God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your marksmanship, or your craftsmanship is incredible. Meditate on that. What I say meditate is I, I just mean think about it. Read it. Ask God to reveal that truth to you individually. Like, God, what are those things? Maybe ask questions to yourself. Like, God, what are those things? Reveal those things to me that are unique, that are special, that you've made just in me. Help me to see those things, not so that I can build myself up, but so that my response can be, God, your workmanship is incredible, that you would create me to be 
this way. Take the time to dig into that. Look into what it, why am I having trouble with this? And you might run into a situation where I'm not ready to think those thoughts. I'm not ready to process that thing. And that's okay. I would encourage you to find someone you can process with, whether it's a friend, maybe it's a counselor to help you think through those thoughts, because it's not okay for you to go through life, and now listen to me, it's not okay for you to go through life putting this side of your identity in Christ away, like, that's not, that, I can't think that about myself, Chris. That's not for me. An identity in Christ is holistic. It's what the word says about us. It's what God says about us. So you can't pick and choose the parts that you think apply to you and no, I'm not good enough for those parts. Take the time to work out your understanding and your feelings and your emotions, your experiences to better understand why you struggle with that part of your identity in Christ. And the second thing that you can do is just remember the gospel. Not that trick, not that trap gospel that we talked about where you have to strive and do and do and do to try and get something, but the real biblical gospel that faith in Christ alone yields salvation and that from that, the works come. You don't have to do and be enough to be a masterpiece of God. That's an identity that we have received and received freely because of his great mercy. So remember, our identity in Christ is about seeing it through a lens. Seeing our diff- it's not about having different hats that we've crafted and manipulated and kind of turned into these things that are our full identity. I am such and such person. I am, so, I am this thing. It's not about that concept. It's about zooming out and seeing those different aspects of our lives as the uniqueness of what God has made us through the lens that is our identity in Christ. Put your freaking hats away, people. It's too tiring, it's too exhausting, and it's empty. Because all it's going to do is cause, i got to push that away, got to push that away. I'm this, I'm not that. That's no way to identify yourself when you are God's masterpiece. We have to see ourselves through that lens of our identity in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the times where you are so blindingly clear and blunt and honest with us. God, when it comes to our identity in Christ, I pray that you would help us to shift this perspective of of these exhausting performances we have to put on or these things we have to wear or be. And God, you would help us to just receive what you've given us. God, that we would shift our perspective to seeing all the uniqueness in our lives through the lens of our identity in Christ. God, we are grateful that you've made us so wonderfully and perfectly. God, not to our fame or to our pride, but God, to your glory. God, would you help us to continue to identify the ways you've made us unique, to identify the things that you've gifted us with, God, so that we might do the good things that you've prepared for so long ago. God, help us to remember your gospel That simple faith in Christ alone is what leads to salvation. That works come from the work of the Spirit in our lives. God, we trust you. We're grateful for this. We pray for those who are struggling to believe this for themselves. I pray that you would put the people in their lives to to talk through their experiences or their emotions or their feelings so that they might submit those to you and truly believe that they are your masterpiece, that you knit them together perfectly as they exist now. 
with the flaws, the imperfections, all those pieces that, God, those build up to, God, each individual masterpiece. God, help us to see our, ourselves the way that you see us. And we're grateful we pray all this in your name. Amen.